This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We always talk about what's in the news at the top of the show, but today we're going to discuss what's in the news for the entire show. It's an open topic day, so call in to ask our experts any personal finance question you'd like. Maybe you have a question about a news story that you've heard, or you need a a financial term explained better. You can ask us anything within reason. Contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning. Before we jump into the news, uh, financial news in the news, I do have a personal finance-related trivia question. Love it. So we will let uh, Nancy and Ryder both take a stab um, at this. Oh, no. I haven't been doing well at these. Do we, have a, do we have a buzzer? What are we doing here? <laughs> oh, my wordle is really bad. My husband beats me every morning. All right. So uh, if we don't get it the first time, I do have an, a clue that uh, should give it to either one of you or maybe both. Oh, he's planning on stumping us, Nancy. Today is yeah. the anniversary of a very important personal finance-related event. Any like, guesses? Like personal for you? No, just in, in general. Uh, first of all, what is today? Today May, is... May 17th. <laughs> May 17th. Uh, what no. what is a what is a personal finance world event? I don't know. No, it's it's an event, credit card, an event that happened uh, that is related to personal finance. Right, like, right. Is it the invention of the credit card? Um, um, how about the the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau? No, no, no. You want the hint? We absolutely yeah. want the hint, Kevin. This it, is crazy. It was on this day in 1792 that this event occurred. Columbus ah. sailed the ocean blue. I don't know. <laughs> no. I'm about two hundred years off. I don't know. Nancy, stock exchange in the United States. The stock exchange was created in this day in 1792. And Which stock exchange? Was, yeah, it was first in Philadelphia, was it not? They're called bourses. I, my my reference material didn't get that, that specific. <laughs> It just said the stock exchange. Well, what the, do I know? the bourse was the the Parisian exchange. I think they still call it the bourse. This was yeah, the one that it was created on Wall Street by 24 brokers, I think is what my, my news said. Okay, but it was first in Philadelphia before yeah. it was New York. And it was called, Ryder, do you remember this one, what it was called first? The Philadelphia Stock Exchange. No. <laughs> no, the one in New York was called the Buttonwood. Oh, yes, right. Because... <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> Are we at the racetrack here not, all of a sudden? <laughs> Liz actually pulled out a bugle for that one, guys. It's 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 pretty crazy here in the studio. It's the only thing I could find. <laughs> and it, it was the, the only thing I could find. But they met under a buttonwood tree to uh, trade stocks, which sounds like it sounds like it was a really kind of low-key affair at the time. Yeah, it was. Just little pieces Just, of paper. Hey, guys, I've got a stock. You want some stock? Sure. All right. So, 1792. That's uh, today's trivia question. So, very good. Nancy, the unstumpable Nancy. Ah, thanks. Uh, Before we jump into news, uh, we do have a caller on the line. So, why don't we say good morning to our friend Sue, who calls in from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, y'all. I hope this is this is not too out of the range of you know what you were going to talk about, but. Since the United States currency is not backed by the gold standard or the silver standard or anything, can can we just keep printing money that is not backed by anything? I mean, 
yeah. and where's all yeah. these millions yeah. Yeah, we can do that. of dollars that, that we're going to send over there to Ukraine? Where's all that money going to come from while our infrastructure is falling apart here in the United States? Well, um, I have a really good book that a client <clears throat> sent me, and I can't remember the whole title of it, but it basically is that money is a made-up thing, and we have not been on the gold exchange since mm, the 70s. It was totally done away with. Um, so it is only attached to the um, full faith and credit of our government, you know. And as long as our government is sound and people depend on it and believe in it, then the money has value. But you know, money is just really a weird thing. It's just something we use to transport exchange it's something you can use to turn your work into food you just it's just the medium we use for that exchange so you know does it need to be backed by another thing which has its own value at that i don't know that's but and that's a great question as well about oh how do we pay for this one thing when there is this other thing that needs to be paid for well um that's politicians um and a lot of this money you know we have an enormous military budget so you know, 40 billion or whatever for military aid to ukraine really it's just kind of pales in comparison to what we really spend overall on the military and we do not spend enough on infrastructure that's been we've been talking about infrastructure for for decades and and really not putting putting up enough money for it so that's and under yeah, understand that the U.S. budget is not like a household. Right. So we all operate with our household budgets, which means I only have so much income, and I've got to limit my expenses to that. And if I spend more, eventually I'm going to get into trouble. Mm-hmm. When you control your currency, it's not printing money. It's creation of money. And so we do have the ability to create money now. We can also see that can be inflationary, which we're experiencing some of that right now. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Sue, thanks for your call. Uh, our producer, Liz Gill, did you find the name of the book uh, that Nancy was talking about, Liz? I did. It is... She dropped her bugle, guys. I did. Money, <laughs> the true story of a made-up thing by Jacob Goldstein. All right. It's great. Oh, yeah. gold, gold in the last name. Oh, well, we see where he falls on the, and we see what his opinion is. All right. Uh, so, Nancy, what financial news caught your eye this week? Well, I'm going to steal a writer's story, which is Twitter. The story <laughs> will not go away. And a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this in the office. A uh, writer wasn't part of the conversation. It was just our group here there talking about it. I was probably and checking Twitter at the time. That's why I wasn't you participating. Probably were. Uh, we could see that the price per share at that time was significantly below what Musk was offering. And what I said to them is, you know, there is this collective wisdom of the market. Any one of us may not know what's going to happen, but you put all of us together, and sometimes there is something that comes out of that. And what was that telling us? And what that told us a couple of weeks ago is this deal was not going to happen, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I think this is a really interesting story because so many mergers and acquisitions happen where one company buys another, and that's that's that. And then they just subsume it. Maybe they change some brands. Maybe they keep the brands the same. 
game. I don't know. But this one is so – there's so many arcane points of purchasing a company that are getting discussed. People are talking about – actively talking about uh, what is the due diligence process. When you are buying a company, what are the things you want to look at? How do you have access to that information? People are talking about the breakup fee. If there's not – if the deal doesn't go through, who has to pay who? Why do they do that? What are the what are the cases that they can get out of that? So there's all sorts of just points that don't come up, especially in public conversations, especially in just casual conversations about how a merger works. And and this one is just it's one. It's dragging on a, a little bit. And I it's think just it's very public. Apart. Well, yeah. yes, and and it's also it's just in, in a very public way, and that's been and that's been really interesting and educational for folks. But of course, it's just it's just a hassle for people who are working it i'm sure um i've seen where other people have tried to start a rival to twitter when they're not happy with the way twitter operates do we think that elon musk might try that method no no okay all right very we shut that down quickly enough All right, uh, before our first break, Ryder, <laughs> anything else in the news that uh, caught your eye this week? Yes, actually. So one of my pet issues, I believe people will know that I've been talking about housing a lot uh, the past year or so. And we have some news from the Biden administration about supporting uh, more houses. So uh, house prices have gone up huge in the past couple of years. And part of that is just a classic supply-demand problem. We haven't been building enough houses in this country <clears throat> since the financial financial crisis in 2008, which was a lot of that happened around the housing industry. We haven't been building enough back, but we have still been growing. Uh, People have been moving to this country. People have been uh, moving out of their parents' basement in this country. And so people have been buying houses. And I could give you tons of anecdotal evidence working with folks who are trying to buy houses, who are selling their houses and just having them snapped up. There's not enough supply and there is a lot of demand. And that was exacerbated in the last two years on both sides, not enough supply supply and too much demand. So it's been a long time uh, coming. They estimate the shortfall in housing supplies more than one and a half. If we built one and a half million houses today, we would finally just say, oh, okay, we have enough houses. Now just keep building them at the same rate. So they are expanding some access to grants for cities who are changing their zoning to make it easier to build houses where people want them. Zoning is a big issue. Uh, the, part of the difficulty with housing is it's so, so very local. You have so many local uh, rules and restrictions, uh, you know, local housing codes and inspections and permitting and zoning that says where you can build the houses, what kind of houses you can build. So that's very restrictive. And so they're they're going to give more grants to places that are making it easier to build more houses. And so that's broadening some grants, but also making financing easier for particularly for low income folks, low income tax credits for housing. So that's very good. Affordable housing units being built. So that's very good. Putting people in houses is very good and important. And then also uh, another thing, so the, the the Main Street grants, the revitalizing downtowns of small towns is going to be a big one, I think, for Mississippi towns. And I know there's some folks in Mississippi who are actually working on helping small towns get these sort of grants. They're expanding those, making them easier to get to. And then another one that's going to be big for rural Mississippi is 
financing for manufactured housing. That's typically been harder to get good mortgage financing. So stable, reliable financing with 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 known rules, long terms that makes it very affordable. Uh, that's how it's so easy for people to buy single family houses because the financing is so good, so stable. The terms of that are very well known, very fair to the buyer. Uh, they're making that more available to manufactured housing, mobile homes, etc. So hopefully that will that will help people get into houses that they need because really, like I've been saying, more more homes is more good. It's it's a supply and demand issue, and this is putting some money behind the supply side, which which looks good. But it'll take a little while to to see that in the market. If you have a question for our experts, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about the financial news today. It's an open topic show. Last week on our Social Security show, we learned about the popularity of the names Java and Ryder. So today we're going to talk about Kevin and Nancy. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Correct helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. According to the Social Security Administration website, ssa.gov, Kevin was the 182nd most popular male name in 2021. Nancy was the 945th most popular female name. Uh, From last week, Ryder was 111th most popular male name. Java has a unique name, not in the top 1,000 names. Kevin, I just want to say that um, I am glad Karen came along. (laughs) Because before it was just negative Nancy, nosy Nancy, know-it-all Nancy. You know, my old-fashioned name, which is, if I look at my genealogy, just layer and layer of, of Nancy's there. 
Uh, uh, yeah. Quick story here. I went to uh, upstate New York for Mother's Day to visit my mother. Uh, several siblings went as well. So at our Mother's Day lunch, we brought up the something I'd never heard of, but apparently my name was voted on by other members of the family. Oh. Uh, they, were, they were given two choices. It was either Kevin William or William Kevin. So uh, okay. obviously we yeah. know how that turned out, but uh, that—that's what happens when you're the youngest. Exactly. Plus, yeah. and, give the whole family a say. Do you remember when? And everyone was like, "Yes, yes, yes." And I'm thinking to myself, "No." And then they were astonished. It's like fifth grade is about as as far back as I can remember, and everybody was just amazed about that. It's like, sorry, I mean, I knew we live here and here, and but other than <laughs> random memories, huh, you know. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so, Nancy, um, what about uh, some terms, financial terms that have been in the news recently that we might need to review? Well, I, I'm going to bring up one that's really relevant now, which is liquidity drain. And uh, it's what we're seeing out there. And it relates to Sue's question at the top of the show about the creation of money and mm. how much money's out there. Um, so, Liquidity drain is, means that money is being pulled out of the system, and the Federal Reserve has been doing that. We have the ability to create money and to destroy money. So they have been pulling it out, destroying it, as they've been trying to battle inflation. Um, this has been happening for a while, but they're ramping up on that. That's all under the umbrella of what we call monetary policy. So that sucking sound you see is, is money coming out of the drain, and uh, money into the system an increase in the money supply is going to then juice up the economy, and when you pull it out, it's going to slow things down. And so that's what we're concerned about. Are they slowing it down so much that we'll go into recession? The other side is fiscal policy, and that's what the federal government does with their budget, how much they spend, how much they put in our pockets or take out of our pockets. And so over the last few years, they've been putting a lot of money in our pockets, and so they're not draining it out, but they're not refilling the bathtub with any more stimulus money, except, you know, we do have the infrastructure package. Some of those things are helping. But that combination means that we are speeding, seeing that slowdown, and we're just wondering, will that lead us to recession? So, Nancy, it's actual physical taking bills, coins, et cetera, and, and destroying no, them? No, no, okay. no, no, no. It's, so just like, all, <laughs> yeah, just like we create money by putting a, a, a credit on banks balance sheets that's that's the federal reserve is the bank of the banks right so just like your bank they don't have to print money to give you money they just say oh well you had a thousand dollars in your account we're just gonna put a 500 on top of that so now it's it's just it's just on it's just a electronic credit so they it's, do it's that bookkeeping to, that's all it is yeah absolutely and so they do that uh for banks and then the idea is the banks turn around and actually get that out into the real world and so and i want to go back to what you said about liquidity drain where you're draining you're pulling money out of the the system classic the classic definition of um, of inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. So it's a, the supply of money which is demanding all of the goods. So again, it's a supply demand imbalance. And so by taking some money out, you just don't have as much money chasing the same amount of goods. That's part of the idea there. Quick uh, tangent question. Um, do we know how long a, a bill, I mean, I guess it means which denomination it is, but what is the average life of our money and how frequently are new bills and coins printed and minted? Oh, man. Uh, you see I don't know. I was just talking to somebody yesterday and saying, cash? I don't have cash. 
Um, I mean, we used to use it more often, but yes, there is a timeline for them to pull money out of actual physical dollars and cents out of circulation. When they get um, worn, they get worn down. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I believe every now and then the, the Treasury does put out statistics like that. Uh, so uh, we'll see if we can find some of those because that is that's kind of some some fun facts. Coins obviously last a lot longer in the system, and if you've been collecting coins, you'll sometimes come across one from the 40s or 50s, and and so that's kind of fun. Liz found something for us. Uh, what's the lifespan of one single dollar bill? According to the Federal Reserve, each one dollar bill lasts about 6.6 years. Right. Five. Hmm. Huh. Fives last 4.7 years. Mm-hmm. $10 bills last 5.3 years. And $20 bills last 7.8 years. Oh, wow. That's from FederalReserve.gov's Frequently Asked Questions. I'm kind of surprised. I thought maybe 20s because they're used so often. Maybe they would they wouldn't last as long, but maybe people are um, like, oh, I can't break I can't break my twenty. I got to keep that. Yeah. Maybe more often now that we have inflation. Right. Ooh, I'm gonna yeah. have to change it to the twenty two dollar bill or something. Uh, this is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're looking for your personal finance questions on this open topic day. You can call us at one eight seven seven MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Also, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So, Ryder, financial advisors sometimes reach out to clients during volatile times to comfort them. Mm-hmm. What sorts of words of comfort uh, have you been dispersing lately? Yeah, so it, as as you know, it's been it's been a long rough start to the year and to start off with, we kind of look at how, is this an unusual thing happening? All, all this volatility, this decline in the market, I believe we're down maybe around 15% from the very highest high of of January. And it's it's weird because the high happened like January 1st or 2nd. So it's the very beginning of the year and it's just been down from here. So all your year-to-date numbers look absolutely awful. But when you look at how often something like this happens, the market goes down 10%. In like two out of every three years, it's it's very common that that sort of decline happens, and the market even goes down twenty percent one out of every four years. So that's also fairly common. So it's not unusual, or it's not just it's not particularly uniquely worrisome that this sort of decline is happening. Uh, Of course, that's not comforting on its own, and you always kind of have to look ahead. And so looking ahead, we say, well, what is going to make these stocks continue? Why have they gone down so far, and what's going to cause them to keep going down now? Um, We're looking at a good economy. We're looking at our kind of what we know about inflation is is a lot more stable than what we knew before. The the inflation numbers that came out were very surprising, and those in any surprising economic news can cause the market to decline. Uh, surprising negative news, of course. So we have a better idea that it's going to be a little higher, a little longer than we expected. Of course, it continues to surprise. Then that's that's not good. But it, we've already come down a good ways. We're now at fairly low valuation. So historically, 
you value the stock market just very simplistically price to earnings how many dollars are you paying for a dollar of earnings and in most of the US market we're kind of historically low value that doesn't mean things can't get cheaper that doesn't mean things can't go down from here but particularly when you look at the s- smaller companies they have been growing all last year they grew their earnings and this year they have grown their earnings but their stock prices have gone nowhere and in fact they've gone down this year so you've got a lot more earnings you're making a lot more money but people are still not paying any more for those companies so that's a good indication that they you know they're set for a rise we're talking about money topics in the news today what are the best deals to buy in may we'll have some for you next you're listening to money talks on mpb think radio South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. According to DealNews.com, Memorial Day sales are a good time to purchase large appliances as well as small kitchen appliances and gadgets. Mattresses and in-season produce are also attractive purchases. So if you're in the market for any of that, go ahead and do it now while the sales are going on. Yes, Nancy. Well, we're participating in this, Kevin. We're getting a new washer-dryer today. I'm so excited, yeah. Very good. Any bells and whistles on it? All kinds of them. <laughs> All kinds. We just we just fell in love with the look of this thing, and we just said, we're getting it. We're doing it. And it was on sale. Is, is this, have you all been waiting a long time to do this, and it's been hard to find one? Because that's been... Yeah, because, you know, there's been the chip shortage, and so these old washer and dryer set that we've been living with, we would just say we're just going to live with it for mm-hmm. a while. And then I walked in the store, and they were on sale, and then this one was just so cool looking. I had to do it. Well, in a in a mashup of Money Talks and Fix It One Hundred and One, I'm in the market for a for an oven heating element. Thank goodness I have a double oven, or I wouldn't have been eating for the past few days. But I did have one. Terrible. I have a very old old double oven in my house, and one of the heating elements uh, burned out in a spectacular fashion. So I get to replace that soon. Uh, and my thing is, if someone could. Uh, um 
invent disposable clothing. I would like that because I don't like doing laundry. So, of course, I don't have a fancy new washer and dryer either. So well, yeah, maybe maybe if you, <laughs> if you get the right washer dryer, you'll you'll fall in love with washing your clothes. Do it. The other thing, large appliances, it's a good thing they're on sale because they really are expensive. I, um, I was looking at refrigerators as sort of, I don't really need one, but was thinking about replacing one. It's more than $1,000 now because of the, uh-huh. they really have a lot of bells and whistles there. There's that one that you can touch the screen and you can see what's in the refrigerator without having to open it or whatever. So, mm. I will say the, the washer and dryer we had was an old Kenmore. My gosh, they just go forever. Mm. And we sold the set for $100 to somebody who's going to put it in for their uh, grown kids who are moving. Yeah. I might have shared the story before, a quick one, but it's funny to me. The last time I bought, I think it was a washer or dryer or something about that, the guy at the store tried to sell me the extended warranty. And I said, well, no, I've had... This other one, you know, it's lasted for probably about 15 years. He's like, well, they don't make them like they used to. I thought, (laughs) you're telling me the product I bought is not good in order for you to sell this extended warranty. Oh, God. (laughs) You've picked out the best one, but it's not great. Um, On Wednesday, the House of Representatives passed the Empowering States to Protect Seniors from Bad Actors Act. The bipartisan measure will enable the Securities and Exchange Commission to help state enforcement agencies and task forces protect and educate seniors through the creation of a new Senior Investor Protection Grant Program. Uh, Ryder, have you had a chance to maybe glance over this? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is, and and we've talked about scams before, and particularly folks preying on the elderly. This is a huge problem. Folks trying to just, in some way or another, get your uh, get get elderly folks money. And this is specifically some of this is for the Securities and Exchange Commission and uh, financial industry regulators, authorizing them to uh, give more money for them to train staff and technology uh, in identifying and preventing scams. So sometimes it's, we've talked about it before, where maybe there's an unusual number of wires or transfers in or out of some account that might indicate something is going on. Just any sort of suspicious activity they can identify sometimes. You know, is it a single person opening up multiple accounts? There's various, various red flags and getting the technology and the personnel in place to identify identify those is going to be really important. Um, So there's data shows that 7 million Americans were the victims of financial exploitations. But however, so much elder financial abuse is not reported because it can it can sometimes it can blur the lines of oh is this elder abuse or are they just giving to a slightly scammy charity and it can go unreported because a lot of times these people don't have family who is keeping track of their finances with a fine tooth comb and they're just oh well you know mom she spends a little more than we expected but maybe she's sending uh, maybe they are being persuaded to send money to folks who have uh, met them online. Uh, there's a lot of online dating scams. I was at uh, Liz and I were at the Moth the other day, and one of the fantastic stories being told there was about someone who almost fell victim to an online dating scam, and you could just just feel it in the audience because they knew what was coming, and, and, and they were very glad that she did not fall victim to them. And all sorts of other things, even just basic being overcharged for things. So there's a lot of different scams that do affect elderly folks, and this is bringing more attention, money, and resources to the problem. 
And um, as financial advisors, we are obligated to report any possible abuse of mm. clients that we work with. You know, we have had experience with this. We've mm. had experiences with family members who we feel are taking advantage of their older parents or other family members because they, they have dementia, they have some issues. And what we've run into is some real brick walls when we start to report that because, again, we're obligated to do that, but the um, regulation, the investigation of that is very limited. It's very slow. And so I'm glad to see that they put some teeth into this and put some money into it um, because it's going to become more and more of an issue. And, you know, it can be just one family member who can do this and other family members may not even be aware that that's going on. As financial advisors, we often see it. And, you know, the one in 24 cases uh, reported, and I would imagine not just elderly people, but if you get, you know, a, a, a victim of some sort of scam or something, it's kind of embarrassing to think that you fell for whatever, Absolutely. you know. And so I, I can understand why uh, they're not being reported. So uh, we have a caller on the line. So we're going to say good morning to Mary, who's called in from Coldwater. You're on the air with us, Mary. Go ahead. Hello there. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking me uh, live. That's a, that's a real treat. I was just wondering, you know, crypto crashed because it's not backed by anything. What's the difference between crypto and our actual money? Because it's not that it's not um, bank, backed by anything either. And how soon do you expect it to crash? Do you mean the mon our money system to crash? Yeah. Okay. Oh. Oh, nine. Uh, oh, what an interesting question. Nancy, do you want to take that first? Well, I'm going to say to you, crypto is not backed by any one government. That's why it can um, traverse boundaries, country boundaries, easily. You don't have to do any kind of exchange, whereas our currency is backed by our U.S. government. It's the full faith and, uh, and power of that U.S. government. So it is backed by something. So I will say that's not quite the case, and I'm not concerned about that. But, Ryder, what about crypto and what's happening right now? Yeah, so, Mary, that's an interesting question that you raise. And when you think about our money and how Nancy explained that the reason that it's valuable to us is because we've kind of all agreed to use it. And so we have such a depth and breadth of using the U.S. dollar. We use it. We get paid in it. We pay our taxes in it. We buy our groceries with it. We put it in our savings account. We pay for houses with it. We can do almost anything in this economy with dollars. It's so useful. Every You don't, you don't run into people on the street who aren't using U.S. U.S. dollars in their day-to-day -day life. So it has a depth and a breadth that, that gives it so much strength, and and everyone agrees to it. And so even if, even if some people started not agreeing with it, even if some people thought, oh my goodness, this dollar is worthless, there's still uh, millions of other people who do think it's worth something, and so that's not a really going to have a big impact. One issue, when you think about it in that light with crypto, is that there's not that many people who believe in it. 
And it's a very fragmented space. It used to just be Bitcoin. Now there are so many different types of coins. There's also there's also a ton of stuff that's just great, interesting projects or great, interesting things people are doing, but that just don't have support because it's not like everyone out here is getting paid in Bitcoin and, and using Bitcoin to put gas in their car and using Bitcoin to pay their rent and split a bill with their friends. People just aren't doing that as much. So when a small part of the crypto economy says, oh, no, it doesn't look so good, then that has an outsized impact because one person in the crypto world has a lot more influence than one person in the dollar world. So that's kind of one comparison between the two systems. Of course, the crash you're talking about very recently, broadly, a lot of cryptos are down. But there was actually an attack on a crypto system because, again, these are all just kind of computer-based things. So if, you're, if you can successfully hack or manipulate that system, uh, th and this was a manipulation of the prices, essentially there were two uh, cryptocurrencies, one of which was supposed to have supposed to be kind of held at the value of $1. And they did that by buying and selling another cryptocurrency. And essentially, somebody kept forcing down the price of one of them so hard and so quickly that they were unable to maintain the price of the other one. And so you see something that's supposed that's promised to be a dollar, and then all of a sudden, it's worth you know, 90 cents, 50 cents. You, you start to freak out over that. And that was bad for that whole tiny little ecosystem uh that was the luna and the ust the us terra i'm not really sure what that stands for but the ust was supposed to be held at a dollar it's all i i don't understand the mechanisms completely but both of those are next to worthless uh, luna was worth a hundred dollars a couple weeks ago and is now worth uh, i believe less than a penny the ust is worth a few cents and i believe that was in the news at the top of the show as well that does have implications for the broader cryptocurrency um economy because one of them declines drastically it's probably going to suck a little bit of attention out of the room it's probably going to take some money out of other ones as well and again that's just not something that can happen as easily in the u.s dollar economy and understand that we uh, we're seeing some crypto margin calls I read an interesting article this morning that says that that may have bled over into um, the, our stock markets. So a margin is when you borrow money based on the value of the assets in your account. And there's just a certain percentage you can borrow based on the value. If the value goes down, then they can say, we're going to call that margin. We're going to call that loan. You've got to pay it off. And so then you end up having to sell assets to cover the loan, which causes the assets to go down further. In some cases, people may have been selling stocks to address a margin call on their crypto. So that could also be um, having an effect on the volatility on our uh, stock and bond markets. It's an open topic show today. We're talking about what's in the news, but we'd like to hear from you. What questions do you have? Did you pay attention to Hurricane Preparedness Week, May 1st through the 7th? If not, we'll remind you of some of the actions that you can take. That's coming up next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life's disruptions. Whatever it is, we're here to help. Find out what we're all about and subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Here's a program reminder. Tuesdays at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms on MPP Think Radio immediately following our show. The Mississippi Emergency Management Agency suggested we prepare for the next hurricane. Some tips that they gave were determine your risk, develop an evacuation plan, assemble a disaster supply kit, get an insurance checkup, Strengthen your home, help your neighbor, know your resources, and complete a written plan. MEMA's website is msema.org. As I mentioned, John's on the line. We'll take his call from South Haven. Go ahead, John. You're on the air with us. Oh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, As to the how long does money last, I'll tell you about my friend Herbert. When Herbert gets his hands on a dollar, it goes out of circulation. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. But uh, my question is about electricity. Uh, With the big push for electric cars, Mm. warehouses full of servers using amounts, uh, large amounts of electricity to keep all of our data, is this a good time to invest in a utility fund, a mutual fund, or a stock? That's my question. That's a good one, John. Uh, Ryder, what do you say? Yes, that's an interesting question. And one thing to think about kind of electric electric utilities is that they are generally very highly regulated companies. And they're very highly regulated in the sense that there is a state in in Mississippi, the Public Service Commission, who who basically says how much money they can make, kind of gives them – so they – as far as, oh, when they sell more electricity, yes, they will make more money, um, but it's not necessarily kind of, it's it's not a, it's not like they'll make exponentially more money. If they sell one more unit, they'll make one, you know, one more unit of, of profit. So they're often viewed as a very safe investment because of that kind of consistent, you can always kind of expect that profit. They are allowed, of course, to invest and upgrade their plants and, and so they often trade based on kind of what are interest rates. People view them as almost bond-like. They're not. They're not. Don't use them as a substitute there. But they're, people invest in them for that reliable income, their dividend stream, that steady earnings. So as far as a way to play using more electricity, I, I don't know if it's necessarily the best way to do that. One thing to think about is what are all the inputs to uh, to those server farms? What are all the inputs to the to the energy going into creating that electricity? That is maybe a little less regulated, maybe a little more of that last unit of energy input is sold for a higher margin than that first one. So that may be a different way to think about it. Nancy, any thoughts? 
Well, it's been something that we've been talking about at my house. Uh, if we all convert to electric vehicles, which we are seeing this move a lot faster than what I expected to see, um, will we have all the infrastructure in place to then supply the power to power all those vehicles? Um, that's a big question. I will agree with Ryder on the utility investment. It's really a dividend play. They tend to be um, high dividend payers. But you might want to look at uh, companies supplying charging stations, for instance, or mm. leasing charging stations, um, or even um, investing in the electric vehicles themselves, even General Motors, Ford, they're all going in that direction. So that might be a possibility if you're thinking of something like that. Um, but all of that's a very interesting area, and we have come back to the question of are we really saving on power? Um, are we really saving when when you do all of the math where we convert to electric vehicles and they have to be on the grid versus using gasoline? I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Well, thank you for your information. I appreciate the help. Thanks, John. Uh, good question from uh, South Haven. My one thought on electric car conversions, too, um, is that right now you go to the gas station it takes you five minutes at most to fill your car up and we haven't gotten there with the charging station. i mean as far oh, as i know even the yeah. good ones take several hours and so no, no? they are they are much faster than that okay but is it quick is it quick as filling up with a tank of gas uh 15 minutes what i've been told okay yeah so there are a lot they and that's a big selling point on, on a lot of this saying, how fast does it take to get to? Not necessarily 100%, 100%. That last that last 20% of your battery usually does take a lot longer is what I hear. But I've, I've heard a lot is 30 minutes to get 80% of the way there. And if you, if you think about it, the expectation is a lot of people are going to be parking these cars in their houses at night. And that's where they're going to do most of their charging. If you're on a longer road trip or you happen to be someone who fills up your gas tank multiple Multiple times a day, then maybe that's a little less convenient for you. But as well, if you're on a long road trip and you stop at a at a truck stop and you spend half an hour picking up snacks and ice cream treats, like it's it's kind of a win win for well, the uh, for the gas station. I think you're going to spend an hour if you go to Bucky's, right? <laughs> yeah, that's and that's just waiting in line. That's just you you've picked yeah. out your Snickers ice cream and you're waiting in line to pay it. Amazing place. It's a, it's a tourist destination. I I, I would agree that if, if you've never been to a Bucky's, you should go there once just to experience it. It is just, it's amazing. Just so you can tell Nancy you've been. <laughs> uh, President Joe Biden campaigned on a plan to forgive at least some of the $1.6 trillion in federal student loan debt by over 44 million U.S. borrowers. Student loan payment pause extended through August 31st of this year. Uh, Nancy, any thoughts on that? What's up with student loan forgiveness? Well, I mean, it is a big area for us to think about that there are families who are limited in their spending because they're having to service this debt. We have now $1.75 trillion, that's with a T, in student debt out there. Um, about 13% of our citizens have some student debt load that they're dealing with. And the biggest age group dealing with this is 35 to 49. And those... Uh, are folks who are in the middle of building families, buying houses, uh, doing all of those things, educating their children now, that next generation, to be still dealing with student debt is a big deal. Now, how do you deal with this? 
Um, we are hearing that they may forgive up to 10000 The conversation is to limit that based on household income. Certainly, if you're making a high income, if you graduated from medical school, average medical school um, debt is going to be a little over $200,000, you are going to be able to handle that. Um, and this is interesting. The uh, group, the professional group with the largest amount of debt are the dental students with almost 300000 of debt. But for most people, it's much smaller. Um, average right now graduating is around 28000 and some of that would help. I'm not sure how much 10000 but for lower-end folks, for people who are struggling, it could be some relief. And I'd always like to point out when we talk about student loan forgiveness, it, the, so many federal student loans have built-in forgiveness. And for the past couple of years, uh, with one of the kind of stimulus with uh, with COVID is that they haven't been required to pay those student loans back. So they have had $0 payments. And the fun thing is, a $0 payment, when you're talking about your either uh, public service loan forgiveness, which is a 10-year program, there are some which are even quicker for, I believe there's some teaching programs, some rural doctor programs that have an even quicker forgiveness. These $0 payments count as a payment towards your minimum number of payments that you have to make before you're eligible for forgiveness. So uh, most loans are able to either consolidate or into a uh, federal consolidated loan, and, and you can get on a payment plan that has forgiveness after 20 or 25 years. I know that sounds like it's forever, but you have a very limited payment based on your income during that time. So it should always remain a fairly low part of your overall budget. Where we have a lot of problems is where people have either private loans or they have gotten loans for the for-profit schools and simply not been able to move to a higher income job to pay those back. All right. And um, some of this conversation, uh, they're talking about expanding it beyond the federal loans. Very good. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on any podcasting app. Our show was produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.